at the end of the day, all we are asking Republicans to do is to figure out a way for themselves to organize so the Congress can get together and do the business of the American people. Hmm. Tip O'Neill got along with Ronald Reagan. Ted Kennedy got along with Orrin Hatch. Joe Biden got along with John McCain. Nancy Pelosi got along with John Boehner. Ruth Bader Ginsburg got along with Antonin Scalia. All we are asking is House Republicans to get along with each other. Well, that's a big ask, Hakeem Jeffries. A big one. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. We gotta start slow I here. Got the feeling that something right. They're just getting their majority I back. In case I fall off my chair. It may take and a while. Get down the stairs. Mm-hmm. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet. So the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast, which, <clears throat> I don't know, along with my cold, it might sound a, a whole lot like the previous versions of the Bradcast <laughs> that we've done since the beginning of the year, given uh, the material we have to work with, apparently. It took... Uh, it took three days, but it looks like C-SPAN, Desi Doyen, has finally now changed their Chiron on uh, on Thursday from opening day of 118th Congress to the slightly more accurate opening of 118th Congress. Yeah, that is more accurate. The endless opening would be even more more accurate. It could be opening for a while. Uh, we will see. They are not there yet, at least as we go to air. Apparently, the working GOP House slogan is now, the beatings will continue until morale improves. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe it'll work. I, I hope they keep trying every day that they are hurting themselves here. At least they aren't hurting regular Americans. So that's a victory, as far as I'm concerned, as they have now failed over nine ballots across three days as we go to air. Actually, ten. They are in their tenth ballot. They have failed to select a House speaker, outpacing the number of ballots needed last time this sort of thing happened 100 years ago, in 1923. As I say, as we go to air, they are now on their tenth ballot ballot. I suspect 
it'll end up uh, almost exactly the same as the uh, as the first nine did. So let's start here. Uh, this is via Lisa Lehrer and Reed Epstein at New York Times on Thursday morning, following the second day of failure of Republicans to select a House speaker in advance of the third day of same. They write, after days of chaos and confusion on the House floor, Republicans have made it abundantly clear who is leading their party. Absolutely no one. From the halls of Congress to the Ohio State House, where they have been, where there has been a very interesting fight over leadership. I hope to get to in a little bit. Uh, to the backroom dealings of the Republican National Committee, where there is also a fight over leadership. The party is confronting an identity crisis unseen in decades, with no unified legislative agenda. Well, that's been the case now for many years. No unified legislative agenda, no clear leadership or shared vision for the country. Republicans find themselves mired in intra-party warfare defined by a fringe element that seems more eager to draw, to tear down the House than to build the foundation of a political party that has faced disappointment in the past three national elections, even as Donald J. Trump rarely leaves his Florida home in what so far appears to be little more than a Potemkin presidential campaign, they write. Republicans have failed to quell the anti-establishment fervor that accompanied his rise to power. Instead, those tumultuous political forces now threaten to devour the entire party. Well, that would be sad. Nowhere was uh, was that on more vivid display, they write, than the House floor where 20 Republicans on Wednesday stymied their party from taking control for a second day. Now for a third day by refusing to support Representative Kevin McCarthy's bid for speaker. The uncertainty continued into the evening on Wednesday after McCarthy failed on his sixth attempt at the time to win the leadership position. The House, by a two-vote margin after a wildly chaotic vote not long after we got off air from our previous broadcast, agreed at least to adjourn until noon on Thursday, a result greeted by hoots and hollers by Democrats hoping to extend Kevin McCarthy's misery late into the night. But hey, the Republicans were able to muster up a House majority for something. So there is that credit where it is due. John Fredericks, a syndicated right-wing radio host and former chair of Trump's 2016 and 2020 campaigns in Virginia, said in an interview, quote, nobody is in charge. Embrace the chaos, he said. Our movement is embracing the chaos. Notice that articles like this, by the way, frequently turn to right-wing radio hosts. If, if only because, I don't know, they are so ubiquitous, but there are so many of them on our, of them on our public airwaves, so few of us, and the uh, corporate media rarely, if ever, turn to us, it seems, for thoughts on how things are going on the left. Funny how that works, isn't it? And he's not the only uh, right-wing radio host quoted in this uh, article in the Times, by the way. But I digress. Anyway, the uh, members who began this, qu quote, the members who began this have little interest in legislating, but are most interested in burning down the existing Republican leadership structure, said Karl Rove, the Republican strategist who embodies the party's pre-Trump 
era. Quote, their behavior shows the absence of power corrupts just as absolutely as power does. And of course, uh, he would know. Yeah, exactly. He of all Republicans would know. New political dynamics distinguish this class of Republican agitators, as they call them, from the self-styled revolutionaries who took control under former Speaker Newt Gingrich in 1994, the Tea Party lawmakers who clashed with Speaker John Boehner after the party's 2010 triumph. Those insurgent movements aspired to change the vision of the party. This group of House lawmakers, their Republican critics say, are focused far more on their personal power. Former Congressman Carlos Curbeo of uh, a Florida Republican who was in the House for the first two years of the Trump administration said, quote, there's been a growing tolerance of people who do not act in good faith, who consistently diminish the institution for their personal gain and advancement. Now, I wonder where they got that idea. Could it be from a party who, for years now, has revered a man, a con man, who, yes, consistently diminished institutions for his personal gain and and advancement? Could it be from that? Curbelo added, uh, this is the most dramatic manifestation of that toxic culture. Another way to put that, they are reaping what they have sowed. At least it seems to me. This is the monster they have created. This is the bed they have made. They now get to sleep in it. For their part, Democrats largely declined to comment on the spectacle because they didn't need to. The images, for example, from President Biden's appearance on Wednesday in Kentucky, where he shook hands, God forbid, with Senator Mitch McConnell in front of a bridge project funded by their bipartisan legislation, cut a sharp contrast with the arguments and pained glances on the House floor as seen on C-SPAN. Biden, for his part, was asked about the spectacle in the House after the ceremony at the Brent Spence Bridge, which will finally, finally, now begin receiving billions of dollars to upgrade, repair, and replace that uh, critical span over the Ohio River between Ohio and Kentucky. Yeah, it only took a couple of decades. And, of course, unified control of Congress and the White House Democrats to get that done. Yep. Which doesn't exist anymore, does it? Joe Biden offered his own thoughts on the spectacle, however, over the past several days in the U.S. House uh, at the bridge after that ceremony. It's embarrassing for the country. I mean, literally, and I'm not making a part of this reality is that, you know, to be able to have a Congress that can't function is just embarrassing. We're the greatest nation in the world. How can that be? Well... It is embarrassing. How can it be? I don't know, but it is. So what, for uh, his part, has Kevin McCarthy been doing to try and win over the votes needed to sort of end this impasse and obtain the job that he has wanted his entire life? As CNN's Stephen Collinson reports on Thursday morning, Kevin McCarthy is so desperate to be seeker, he's ready to gut his own power just to get the job. The California Republican unveiled major concessions 
on Wednesday evening. You thought that he had given up everything? Well, no, not yet. But Turns out there was more. There was more. He's still trying. On Wednesday evening, uh, after he was, as, as uh, Collinson puts it here, stung by right-wing radicals who blocked his bid for power in six humiliating votes at the time, a farcical debut for the new GOP-led House. Now, it may have been humiliating, and it was definitely farcical, but to call the so-called rebels voting against McCarthy as led by folks like Matt Gates of Florida, Lauren Boebert of Colorado, Andy Biggs of Arizona, to call them right-wing radicals, well, that would seem to suggest to me that those like McCarthy, that they, uh, you know, they're, these folks that they're voting against aren't right-wing radicals, when they absolutely are as is the entire party in Congress at this point. A congressman from Nebraska quoted in the New York Times piece, uh, you know, quote, uh, labeled the anti-McCarthy cadre as the Taliban 19. That was, of course, before the number grew to 20. But the Taliban 19. Well, I'll let that description stand for itself. Back to Collinson here. The moves by McCarthy on Wednesday night could not only enshrine the chaotic instability of the tiny new Republican majority, they could also make McCarthy a permanent hostage of his party's most extreme voices and a neutered speaker unable to force his members into hard votes could have grave implications with Congress facing critical decisions later this year, including the need to raise the government's borrowing limit, a duty that, if not fulfilled, could pitch the U.S. and indeed the entire globe uh, into an economic crisis. More on that, I hope, in a moment. CNN late Wednesday reported that uh, McCarthy had agreed to a rule change that we talked a little a little about a little bit earlier this week to allow a single member to call at any time for a vote to oust the sitting speaker. One person, one unhappy member of Congress. And by the way, theoretically, that could be a Democrat anytime they want. They well, could simply true. call for the speaker to be tossed out. McCarthy agreed to that. One person can do it. In other words, snap vote. any one person can bring Congress to a halt over and over and over again. At any time. McCarthy's cool with that. The top Republican also agreed to more power for the far-right Freedom Caucus to help shape how and when bills got to the floor. These concessions, writes Collinson, are likely to concern many more moderate members of the incoming majority who fear the electorate's who fear their electorates in swing st- uh, seats will be turned off by still more extremism. Sure, but I'll bet they did not run on that idea that they'd be pushing back against Republican extremism when they won those seats, did they? Those so-called moderates. The proposals surfaced after the new House majority finally agreed on something Wednesday. Following another day of feuding and insults, they narrowly voted to adjourn their futile search for a speaker until Thursday. So, yeah, as I said, they finally agreed on something. Cheers uh, erupted from the Republican benches when the vote closed, reflected the risable state of the House's new GOP management, which is unable to perform the only task it currently has which is choosing a leader. And all of that is holding up the functioning of the chamber, which I have been arguing is actually a good thing 
Collinson sort of seems to occur in uh, writing the idea that a fresh new majority is riding into town to do the American people's business is in tatters. The mess in the new House on Tuesday and Wednesday suggested that every tough vote and even easy ones in the new House could be gummed up by the reality of a dysfunctional majority when small groups of members could shut the chamber down. Sounds like it's going to be a fun two years. Nonetheless, it's a sign that is either a good omen or a very dark one. I'm not sure. Take your pick. Collinson goes on to observe that the elephant, in fact, wasn't in the room. Early on Wednesday, Trump, Donald J., delivered the uh, kind of full-throated endorsement of McCarthy that the Californian must believe he was owed after his obsequious support of the ex-president following the January 6, 2021 insurrection, which we are now exactly two years after. Trump wrote on his social media site uh, in all caps, naturally, vote for Kevin, close the deal, take the victory. Republicans do not turn a great triumph into a giant and embarrassing defeat. Collinson notes it was the kind of social media blast that once would have had Republican members leaping into line, but no longer. It didn't appear to change a single vote, he observed. In another sign that Trump's uh, spell may have broken, Lauren Boebert of Colorado said that, quote, her favorite president had called rebels opposing McCarthy and told them to knock it off. Let's stop with the campaign smears and tactics to get people to turn against us, even having my favorite president call us and tell us we need to knock this off. I think it actually needs to be reversed. The president needs to tell Kevin McCarthy that, sir, you do not have the votes and it's time to withdraw. With that, I yield. Thank you. Uh, That was as she was nominating Byron Donalds on Wednesday. Uh, You never heard of him? Yeah. Uh, Nobody else had either. But uh, her rebuke was the, the latest sign, notes Collinson, that after two years in political exile, a disastrous intervention in the midterms and a low energy 2024 campaign launch, Donald Trump's juice isn't what it once was in Republican ranks in the House. No one is scared of Donald Trump anymore, argues Collinson. As I said, either a good omen or a dark one, take your pick. But that is one of the biggest points that seems to be emerging from all of this. So on what is was day three on Thursday of this exercise in apparent futility, at least so far, House Republicans went through round seven, round eight, round nine and round 10 of trying to elect a House speaker, failing each and every time. Now, uh, there were a few nuances once again in uh, Republicans sort of dipped even deeper once again into their strategic African-American reserve on their side of the House to have freshman Michigan uh, Congressman-elect John James place Kevin McCarthy's name into nomination in the seventh futile round of voting for a new House Speaker on Thursday. If that name sounds familiar, John James, well, he was the party's failed nominee in the U.S. Senate elections in Michigan in 2018 and 2020. He lost both times to Democratic incumbent Senators Debbie Stabenow and Gary Peters, respectively. 
Well, John James actually gave a hell of a, a good first speech on the House floor. He hasn't even been sworn in yet to Congress, and he's already nominating the House Speaker. Of course, Hakeem Jeffries was n- nominated every time. The leader of the uh, uh, Democrats, uh, he was nominated every single time. He received the most votes in every single round of voting, 212 each time as the Democratic Party continued to stay unified. Uh, in that first round on Thursday, again, round number seven, Byron Donalds of Florida was once again nominated. He's sort of the Herschel Walker of this House Speaker's contest. <laughs> That's good. That's actually well, quite good. He's an African-American Republican who pleaded guilty to felony charges for having defrauded a bank back in 2000. He was nominated once again on Thursday in round seven, this time by uh, Congressman Dan Bishop of North Carolina, who noted this in his remarks, which maybe he's now thinking he, he should have rethunk. Uh, listen closely to how the Democratic caucus responded in unison to Dan Bishop's uh, point here. Yesterday, we could have elected the first black speaker of the United States House of Representatives. Now, I can't tell. I don't know if you can tell what they were chanting there. It was the Democrats. But Dan Bishop was meaning to refer to Byron Donalds, that they could have elected him as the first black speaker of the House yesterday. But then the Democrats started chanting, Hakeem, Hakeem, Hakeem. Who's actually the first African-American House speaker if he were to be elected because he actually has been getting the most votes. Well, correct. And he's the leader of the Democrats. They could have, so they could have elected the first black House speaker <laughs> on uh, Tuesday one, when yeah. they came back from all of this. For the record, Congresswoman Cori Bush uh, of uh, my old uh, home state of Missouri, she responded to the nomination of this little-known Republican African-American backbencher uh, Byron Donalds, uh, she replied to that this way, quote, for what it's worth, Byron Donalds is not a historic candidate for speaker. He is a prop. Despite Mm -hmm. being black, he supports a policy agenda intent on upholding and perpetuating white supremacy. His name being in the mix is not progress. It's pathetic. Speaking of pathetic, on that uh, round seven of voting on Thursday, there was uh, a new new candidate. He wasn't nominated, but you can vote for anyone you want. Uh, Matt Gaetz, who was sort of leading this um, uprising or whatever we want to call it. The holdouts. He's leading the holdouts. The Mm -hmm. anti-McCarthyites. He actually voted for Donald J. Trump. For Speaker of the House. That was the first time Trump got a nomination. Other than that, Byron Donalds got all 19 of the holdouts, as Desi calls them. In round eight, same thing happened. Hakeem Jeffries got 212 votes. McCarthy got 201. He was nominated by somebody else. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. But in this case, after uh, uh, Hakeem Jeffries had been nominated by Pete Aguilar in the first seven rounds, this time it was actually he was actually nominated in round eight. Hakeem Jeffries was by Catherine Clark of Massachusetts. And I, I want to play a part of her nomination speech here because it sort of reminds us that, yeah, there actually is a difference between when 
Republicans are in charge of the House and when Democrats are, as they had been for the past two years. The historic dysfunction that we are seeing, this intra-party fight that the American people have been drawn into, is imperiling our national security. It will imperil the ability of this government to deliver basic services. It is imperiling our jobs and our responsibility to serve our constituents. But it is also entirely predictable. They're failing to convene Congress today, but for years they have failed to deliver the votes for the American people. When schools and small businesses needed to reopen and the American people wanted vaccines, they said no. When we capped insulin costs for seniors at $35 a month, they said no. When we lowered health care costs and premiums for working families, they said no. When we defended the civil rights of LGBTQ plus Americans, they said no. When we protected lives from senseless gun violence, especially in the wake of the horrors of Buffalo and Uvalde, they said no. When we stood up for women and reproductive freedom, they said no. When we brought manufacturing back to America, they said no. When we answered the urgent call to protect our planet and invest in clean energy and create tens of millions of good-paying jobs, they said no. When we said women deserve equal pay for equal work, they said no. When we said that childcare and paid family leave should be available to every worker in this country, to every family, they said no. When we secured the fundamental right to vote for every single American, they said no. When we stood by our veterans and expanded their access to health care, they said no. When we defended our democracy two years ago tomorrow from a tyrannical president following the January 6th insurrection, they said no. House Democrats will stand together. We will stand for the American people. It is our job and our responsibility to elect a speaker who stands with them and with great pride, I nominate Hakeem Jeffries. That was uh, obviously a Democrat, Catherine Clark <laughs> of Massachusetts. She is the minority whip nominating uh, Hakeem Jeffries in what, be, what was round eight of this madness and sort of offering a reminder of the pretty extraordinary accomplishments of the Democratic House over the past two years when it was controlled by Democrats. Now that it's controlled by Republicans, well, judge for yourself how things are going here. There was also, um, so that was round eight, and of course, once again, Hakeem Jeffries received the most votes, 212, McCarthy got 201, and then there began to be a split between that Florida man, Byron Donalds, who the 
uh, what did you call them? The the rebels. The I call them the holdouts. The holdouts. I think rebels right? is giving them way too, too much, much credit. credit. Yeah, radicals. Yes, definitely. Okay. Call them radical holdouts. Except you call them radicals, then that implies right. the other ones aren't radicals. You're right. So then it's just call tough. them holdouts. There you go. Or anti-McCarthyites. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, that, there began to be a split there. Gates stuck with Donald Trump, but the uh, folks voting previously for Byron Donalds, two of them started voting for a guy named Kevin Hearn of Oklahoma. Have you heard of him? No, most folks haven't either. Then they went to round nine. Same thing happened. Different people did the nominations. This time, Lauren Boebert officially nominated Kevin Hearn, instead of just voting for him during uh, uh, the process. And then Trump lost his vote. His one vote uh, from Matt Gates went to Kevin Hearn. Now we are up to round 10 as we go to air, and it looks like the holdouts have split their 20 votes. 13 are going for Donald's. Seven are now going for Hearn. You never heard of either of them. These holdouts would like either one of them to be the Speaker of the House. And they want everyone to agree with them. How long this will go, I don't know. As I said, they've now outpaced the last time this happened. They went to nine ballots back in 1923. Now they are on ballot number 10. This could go all night. They could adjourn on uh, after this vote on Thursday, come back and do it again on Friday. There is talk that, oh, maybe they are on the verge of an agreement. If so, they certainly are not voting as if they are on the verge of any agreement. Does all of this matter? Well, yeah, I have joked that it prevents the Republicans from doing legislative damage to the country since they are unable to even swear in members of Congress until a speaker is selected to do so, which also means they can't meet for their, you know, pretend investigative committees. They can't pass legislation that harms Americans that will never pass in a Democratic Senate or be signed by a Democratic president. But there is stuff that eventually does need to happen. Somehow, even in this dysfunctional, chaotic, leader, leaderless GOP controlled and controlled is in quotes there, this GOP controlled house, Democratic House leader and leading vote getter over nine rounds of voting for House Speaker Hakeem Jeffries discussed some of the stakes at a press avail on Thursday when he said, look, we are going to have to do things like raise the debt ceiling or else we'll plunge the nation, the nation and the world into an economic disaster. Which means there's going to have to be cooperation and organization from the Republicans who control Congress. Now, David K. Johnston, an investigative journalist on, on Twitter late last night, cited House Democrat Brad Sherman, who we've had on this show. Uh, he said uh, Brad Sherman has a smart idea to get a speaker. Dem Democrats could help. Kevin McCarthy in return for a pledge that the House Republicans will not hold the debt ceiling hostage, which would damage the U.S., could even cause a global depression. So Dems could vote present in order to lower the number of uh, people to win that majority. That's what Brad Sherman suggests. David K. Johnson. Johnston thinks that's a good idea. Desi Doyen is giving me a, a I'm giving a dirty you a look. look like, why would anyone trust any Republican to follow through on any agreement that they've made? Because I don't believe they'll follow through with well, that. Well, they might not. But remember, it just takes one member to call for a snap vote to remove any Speaker of the House at any time. And then we get to go through this all over again? Correct. 
well, you know. Anyway, I, I think it's an interesting, you know, the idea, should the Democrats help McCarthy in any way, shape, or form here? I don't know. And by the way, Des, a lot of the folks who I, I uh, shared this uh, this quote from David K. Johnston from uh, Brad Sherman on uh, Twitter and, and said, hey, what what do you people think? A lot of people came back with that same dirty look you just gave me, Des. <laughs> but I would love to hear from uh, others. Uh, we may open uh, the phones uh, when we when we can on questions like this if this is still ongoing over the next couple of days. You can drop me an email if you have any thoughts on it. Bradcast at bradblog.com is where you will find me. Also find me at the Brad Blog on Twitter, Facebook, Mastodon, etc. I'd love your thoughts. Let's take a quick break and we will come back with some some interesting developments in other state houses, other legislatures around the country where Republicans are having, um, well, Republicans and Democrats are having uh, similar problems getting underway as the legislative year begins. Stick around for that. And Desi Doyen's first Green News Report of the year is coming up a little bit later, if we have time. (laughs) I'm Brad Friedman. You are listening to the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Good luck with that. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com, where it is uh, now official. The House has broken the 100-year record <laughs> as, uh, speak, as Republican leader Kevin McCarthy has now failed on his 10th ballot for Speaker. Ballot number 11 lies ahead. Uh, and, of course, it's not only in, uh, in, in D.C. where these problems are happening among Republicans. However, there have been some interesting breakthroughs that have occurred uh, in uh, the past few days as new, newly elected state legislatures are coming into place, newly elected governors and so forth. Let's start here in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania's Democratic governor, Josh Governor-elect, I should say, Josh Shapiro, will nominate Al Schmidt, a former Republican elections official in Philadelphia, as the battleground state's next chief elections officer ahead of the 2024 presidential race. Crazy. A Democrat choosing a Republican as his top election official? Dogs and cats living together? Mass hysteria? (laughs) What's going on here? Shapiro announced his intention to nominate Schmidt to be his Secretary of the Commonwealth, which is analogous to many states' Secretary of State position on Thursday. In Pennsylvania, the Secretary of the Commonwealth is handpicked by the governor, not elected, which is just one reason why it's very good news indeed that far-right 2020 election denialist Donald Trump supported and handpicked GOP nominee for uh, for governor in Pennsylvania last year, Doug Mastriano, 
That's one of the reasons why it was important that Mastriano was thoroughly defeated. He was crushed by Shapiro by about 15 points. I can only imagine who he would have selected as Secretary of the Commonwealth. Thank you, voters, for turning out in Pennsylvania. In this critical swing state, yes, ahead of 2024. After Mastriano had said he would not have certified Joe Biden's victory in Pennsylvania back in 2020. So Al Schmidt, uh, he served as one of Philadelphia's three city commissioners who oversee elections in the city. He did that for uh, about a decade. Now, I'm not a fan of the way that elections are run in Philly at all, if only because they still shamefully force all voters at the polls to vote on 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen ballot marking devices the worst and most dangerous ones on the market, by the way. That said, I've got no particular reason to believe that Schmidt, who is wrong about those voting systems, is anything but an honest broker in any event, at least to my knowledge. I am reaching out to some uh, election folks in Pennsylvania to get their thoughts on this selection. I'll let you know if they come back with any concerns. Schmidt's tenure in Philly included the 2020 presidential election, after which then-President Donald Trump attacked him by name in a tweet because he defended the results and the security of the process in Philadelphia. Schmidt testified, you may recall, at a January 6th committee hearing back in uh, June of last year where he said that Trump's tweets led to uh, threats of violence directed towards him and his family. Governor-elect Shapiro said in a statement, quote, Al Schmidt has a proven record of defending our democracy, protecting voting rights, and standing up to extremism even in the face of a grave threat. His appointment to the role will make Pennsylvania one of the few states where the state's governor and chief election officer are of differing parties, though they are aligned on, in general, on election policy. Schmidt said in a brief interview, my job is to advance the governor's agenda and to make sure that every eligible voter is able to register to vote and every registered voter is able to cast their vote and have their vote counted at the end of the day. Regardless of party affiliation, he added, there has never been any daylight between anything that I think would strengthen democracy and the governor-elect's agenda as he has ex expressed it, he said. Shapiro will take office later this month. His nomination will go in front of the state Senate where uh, Schmidt's nomination, where he needs the approval from two-thirds of the body in which Republicans have a five-seat majority. Schmidt can serve, even if he isn't nominated uh, for now, he can serve with an acting title prior to his confirmation. And speaking of the things going on at the legislature in uh, Harrisburg, uh, this is another story that we covered, and frankly, it was a really confusing one. Just before we left for our holiday break, it regarded the Democrats' surprise victory in the Pennsylvania State House last November. They won back a majority there for the first time in more than a decade. But there were uh, a few electoral quirks that happened that put control of the state house sort of up for grabs for a while before the holidays as both republicans and democrats were attempting to claim majority control there was a death uh, of of uh, one member and two others had left to take other jobs that they won in elections so after months of uncertainty and political fighting according to axios this week 
As everyone else was following the GOP disarray in the U.S. House, state lawmakers in Pennsylvania elected Democratic Congressman uh, a representative, I should say, uh, Democratic Representative Mark Rosie, I think it's pronounced Rosie, as the next House Speaker, a Democrat. Democrats and a few Republicans had secured Rosie's surprise victory against Republican Carl Walker Metzger. This means that Democrats have now officially regained control of the state house for the first time in 200 and uh, for the first time since 2010, okay. which could help, which could help further their legislative agenda for uh, de- uh, the Democratic governor-elect Josh Shapiro, who will be sworn in later this month. Rosie pledged on the House floor on Tuesday not to caucus with either party as House Speaker. He said that as the Commonwealth's first independent speaker, he'll work to help rebuild trust in the chamber. He said sometimes Republicans will win, sometimes Democrats will win. This comes after House Democrats barely eked out a surprise majority in November. They won 102 seats to the Republicans' 101. But Republicans hold a functional majority of 101 to 99 right now because a trio of Democratic uh, members' seats became vacant. This has fueled questions over the past two months that we tried to figure out before we left for the holidays as to who leads the House in the interim. One Democrat died. Another became lieutenant governor in Pennsylvania. Another was elected to the U.S. House. All three seats will likely be replaced by Democrats in special elections. But the question is, and was before we left for the holidays, when those special elections will actually take place and who gets to control the chamber until then? Both Democrats and Republicans claimed power and they elected their own interim speaker. So they had dueling interim speakers at the time. But now... Coalescing around Rosie, Democrats jettisoned their first choice for speaker. Sadly, Representative Joanna McClinton, who would have been the first woman to wield the gavel. That kind of sucks. But prior to the vote this week, Republicans were considering using their short lived majority to advance a pair of controversial constitutional amendments, one of which was including new photo ID restrictions on voting. So they wanted to cheat and try to change some laws before the red light hit them. Correct. correct. And uh, supposedly now with Rosie in place, this will stop that sort of thing from happening. And he will decide when these new special elections for these three Democratic vacancies will happen. They must happen no long, no later than May. Democrats had wanted them to happen in February. Now, maybe they will. We'll see. In any event, a Democrat is now in charge of the state house. So what exactly he means by independent? Well, I suppose that part remains to be seen. And uh, one more before we get to uh, the Green News report here. Ohio's House of Representatives started its new session with a surprise, according to the Columbus Dispatch, electing Republican Jason Stevens as its speaker. Last month, State Rep. Derek Marin won the support of Republicans to lead the 135th General Assembly. But the vote this week was supposed to be a formality. And, you know, Marin would become the uh, the new speaker. That didn't happen. A completely different guy did. 
Support for Marin began to erode in recent days and culminated in a 54-43 victory for Stevens when all 32 Democratic votes went with 22 Republicans for a total of 54. Marin had just 43. So... According to the House Minority Leader, Democrat Allison Russo, there was a clear division on the other side and they needed our votes. We took the opportunity to make sure that we were going to be working with a speaker who we felt like at the end of the day would work with us on issues that we could agree on. They decided to vote in unison for a candidate that they thought would best foster bipartisanship, she said. In, in his acceptance speech, Stevens urged lawmakers to work together to, quote, best serve Ohio. So seems to me a pretty smart power move in this case by Ohio Democrats in a body long dominated by the GOP. In other words, they got to pick who they wanted to work with, at least among Republicans, yeah. to be their speaker, which sort of goes back to the question we were asking before. Should Democrats help out Kevin McCarthy in the U.S. House and sort of pull, pull a similar move on under the premise that he would be better than anyone else? By the way. I'm not sure that premise is true. Mm, yeah. I'm not suggesting it is. But that's the premise. But that's the premise. That's the question that they are, are, are likely asking themselves. In, in Ohio, Republicans control 67 seats in the House, so they could have elected a speaker all by themselves. But over the past few months, they've had a bunch of behind-the-scenes fights. Sound familiar? For <laughs> control of the House chamber. At least three Republicans were contending for the speaker role. So they failed. And uh, some of the Republicans, of course, are very unhappy about it. They say we have a 67 seat Republican majority in which Democrats have now picked the speaker. <laughs> it's absurd, said Representative Brian Stewart, Republican of Asheville. Now, this comes after uh, uh, Stevens, uh, this this new guy who the Democrats supported, uh, he becomes speaker after uh, Representative Bob Cup, who was elected speaker in 2020. His predecessor was a guy by the name of Larry Householder. Name sound familiar? He was a Republican who was arrested and charged with federal corruption in a scandal that is still unfolding. Householder served as the House Speaker, the Republican House Speaker, for years, from 2001 until 2004, and then again from 2019 to 2020. He's now scheduled to go on trial in U.S. District Court this month. Prosecutors allege he ran a criminal enterprise that took $61 million in bribes from energy companies like First Energy through dark money groups in exchange for legislation. Oh, yeah. Remember it's that a guy? really sordid, nasty yep. story of how the uh, Republicans in Ohio uh, were very corrupt as they accepted bribes from this major utility yep. that wanted a bailout to keep their nuclear plants going. Yep. And they got it. They got it. And now Householder, the former House Speaker in Ohio, is uh, going uh, on trial. Uh, both uh, he and his co-defendant, Matt Borges, who's the former chair of the Ohio Republican Party, they've both pleaded uh, not guilty. After his arrest in July 2020, Householder was stripped of his speaker post, but he continued to serve until June of 2021. 
Because Republicans. Because Republicans let him. He was finally uh, expelled from the Ohio House, and now his Democratic colleagues have helped to select the new House Speaker of the Republican-dominated House in the Buckeye State. Politics is fun, ain't it? Quick break, and we're back with Desi Doyne and the Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Hey, guess what happened while we were on break in the <laughs> U.S. House? Well, they've started a new round of voting for oh, House wow. Speaker. They are now on the 11th vote for House Speaker. And uh, it looks like some guy named uh, Congressman French Hill from Arkansas, uh, he's got a new idea. He's going to nominate Kevin McCarthy to oh, be wow. House Speaker. What a change. I, uh, I, I suspect this will work. <laughs> Number 11. The longest uh, time this has ever taken to select a House Speaker was back in 1855. It went from December of 1855 to February of 1856. So this could take a while. Until then, let's get to it. Our latest and first Green News Report of 2023. For decades, people have talked about the Brent Spence Bridge. But folks... We're finally going to get it done. Biden promotes infrastructure repairs and upgrades as funding flows from new climate laws. This may be one of the most challenging and impactful series of storms in the last five years. West braces for another round of major storms. Plus, Republican dysfunction in U.S. House, a bad omen for climate policy. All of those bad omens and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. House Republicans now are on the verge of becoming a total clown show if they're not careful. Becoming... Oh, Sean Hannity, you be you. Happy New Year. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, a whole bunch of stuff happened while we were out (laughs) over the holidays. And a whole bunch of stuff has happened since we've come back. And all you have to do is cover it all In less than six minutes. (laughs) Good luck to me. Indeed. As we go to air, the spectacle of climate science denying far-right Republicans using their new U.S. House majority to monkey-wrench the selection of the Speaker of the House is a harbinger of congressional chaos to come over the next two years. Who could have guessed it? House Republicans have pledged to expand fossil fuel extraction and slash clean energy funding, and they will also be in control of funding the government and a Proving emergency funding for extreme weather disasters. Well, they're going to have a hard time causing too much trouble because the Democrats still control the White House and the Senate, right? Yes, so that will make it harder for them to pass their anti-environment agenda. Until they start including it in must-pass bills. 
but we'll cross that bridge if and when we get there. A state of emergency in California amid a punishing series of major storms that are pummeling the drought-stricken western U.S., causing extreme flooding, mudslides, and power outages. But hydrology experts say the string of atmospheric rivers is still not enough to fill major reservoirs that have fallen to record lows or to pull California and other states out of historic drought. The dramatic swings from historically dry to extremely wet conditions are in line with climate scientists' predictions. Those hydrologists are such gloomy gusses. Meanwhile, while we were out, an Arctic blast brought extreme cold to most of the U.S. An historic blizzard killed more than 50 people, most of them in upstate New York, and triggered an airline industry meltdown. Beleaguered Jackson, Mississippi got yet another boil water notice as the deep freeze crippled the city's water supply again. The widespread power and water outages again exposed how the nation's infrastructure is not ready for climate change intensified extreme weather. A freakish heat wave in Europe over New Year's shattered temperature records in some areas by 20 to 30 degrees. At least eight countries hit new all-time record temperatures for the month of January. Switzerland and Poland pushed an unthinkable 66 degrees Fahrenheit at 4 o'clock in the morning in winter. 66 degrees. Yes. In January. In the morning. Before dawn. However, the record warmth has slashed demand for natural gas heating. Here in the U.S., the U.S. Postal Service increased its purchase of all-electric delivery trucks and will electrify 75% of its fleet by 2026, creating one of the largest electric fleets in the nation. Well, we're getting there. And German luxury automaker Audi announced it is phasing out manufacturing of gasoline cars and converting all of its factories to produce EVs. Really? The Biden EPA enacted tougher pollution rules for trucks, vans, and buses for the first time in decades to cut down on toxic diesel air pollution. The U.S. Transportation Department allocated another $2 billion to repair critical interstate bridges. President Biden was in Kentucky on Wednesday to announce that a decrepit bridge, a vital commerce corridor in the Midwest, will finally get repaired thanks to federal infrastructure investment dollars now flowing to states from the bipartisan infrastructure law. We can work together. We can get things done. We can move the nation forward. Well, at least when Democrats have majorities in both houses of Congress, we'll see how it goes this year. And finally, new incentives from Biden and the Democrats' landmark climate bill, the Inflation Reduction Act, which passed with zero Republican votes. Mm -hmm. Those incentives are now in effect, offering homeowners and businesses numerous ways to access billions of dollars in funding, grants, and other mechanisms to go green and upgrade, boost energy efficiency, and save money on water and energy. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters and the Mastodons at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. And I remember what it is to be so green. Nice 
best way to start the year, isn't it? That is, and it's a great opportunity to fro- for folks to look up what incentives are available to them in the Inflation Reduction the, Act. Among I mean, them, it's yeah. a lot. You can electrify your home. There's some grants and other rebates that you can get that will help defray the costs of saving money later by investing in electrifying now. One of them, if you were ever thinking of buying an electric car, don't buy a Tesla. You can now buy a Chevy Bolt uh, or a Chevy Bolt EUV. The It's like the cheapest new used car in the market. And because they had some problems with it previously, they've gone out of their way to uh, really lower the price and raise the battery charge uh, limit. What is it called? The, the, the mileage the, 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 on a single charge. On a single charge. You get 250 miles. Range. That's the word. Range. Thank you. 250 miles. It's an amazing deal, but it only lasts until March when they figure out the Inflation Reduction Act and and how it works because you get $7,500 off a Chevy Bolt right now. Uh, only through March. I realize I sound like a, a Chevy spokesman <laughs> here. A sales, we don't get anything if you buy one. Right. It's a, just a very narrow window you of opportunity. You get a really inexpensive electric car with a really huge range uh, that only happens now for the next month or two, yeah, and that and deal goes away. And it's not just you know the federal government uh, rebates that you can get. Also, check into what your state and county and city offer, because some of them actually offer more as, you on top can, of that. You can have an electric car that goes 250 miles <laughs> for like $18,000. That's how cheap this is. Or even less if you have state uh, 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 rebates and so forth. Anyway, the point is, it's, it's worth your looking public into. service. I'm telling you, it's, it's your public service. Into. Give it a look. All, All right. right, that's it. Anything else? No, we got to go. Got to go. My thanks to our producer Desi Doyen. To all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That, as always, is made possible only by listeners like you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help support the work that we try to do every day here on your public airwaves. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. Oh, and Mastodon, the Brad Blog. We'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. You and I remembering what it is to be So green So green. Sometimes stupid political ideas beget even stupider political tactics. For example, a faction of right-wing Republicans wants to stop public discussion and actions involving two ideas they hate. One, racism always has been and still is a systemic problem in American society. And two, LGBTQ people are a normal and welcome part of, well, of us, America's richly diverse society. Aside from the raw ignorance behind the GOP's denial of these realities, consider the boneheadedness of their current campaign to impose their bigotry on America. Book banning. At least 50 extremist groups are roaming from city to city, funded by deep-pocket right-wingers like the Koch brothers' political network, 
to demand that books they don't like be removed from schools and libraries. Worse, their open assault on knowledge and our freedom to read includes the nasty tactic of demonizing and threatening librarians who resist their dictates. Librarians. As a group, these truly helpful people are a national treasure, serving the common good. Yet they're getting physical threats and being fired by these little right-wing mobs. The good news is that local folks are rising up against the book banners. For example, when two high school girls in Leander, Texas, asked to check out a few books from their library, they were stunned to learn that the school district had banned all the titles they requested. Students had not been informed of this censorship, much less consulted. Rather than whine, the two feisty girls organized the Banned Book Club in their school, reading prohibited titles as a group, then meeting twice a month to discuss the books, including the ban. This is Jim Hightower saying, to get more information and to fight this right-wing repression, contact American Library Association, ALA.org. The Hightower Radio Lowdown is made possible by you lowdowners who subscribe to our monthly newsletter, The Hightower Lowdown. You know who you are. Thank you.